Good morning again, everyone in Mendocino County and beyond. You are tuned to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I've been out of the studio for, well, actually since last year in March. So this is my first time back in the studio, in an actual radio studio. I've been doing it remotely via Zoom from my home studio. And so I'm relearning to push all the right buttons. Um, we have two topics lined up for you today. My The first topic is I'm hopefully going to be talking with my guest, uh, John Kavanaugh, about his book, The Water Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country from Corporate Greed. And this book tells the harrowing, inspiring saga of Salvadorians fighting and t obtaining historic, historic victories to save their water and their communities from what they call big gold, which is gold mining. And the second topic today, I'm going to be talking with Carrie Durkee and George Reinhardt from the Grassroots uh, Initiative here in Mendocino County. And they're going to be talking about a carbon-free initiative for Mendocino County that they are, are trying to get the Board of Supervisors here in Mendocino County to pass. So that that's coming up at 6 9.30 this morning. Okay, I think we have our guest on the phone now. Welcome to Wild we Living, John. <laughs> yeah, great to be here with you, Johanna. I, I've, I've already told our, re, our, our listeners that uh, you are here to talk uh, about the topic of defending, of defending water as a resource and about your book that you wrote together with, uh, with, with your wife, uh, The Water Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country from Corporate Greed, together, which my guest John Kavanaugh wrote, wrote together with Robin Broad. And it tells the story of how uh, a group of Salvadorian people got together and uh, won two historic historic victories against um, against big gold, which is mining in their country. Not just against big gold, but against mining in general. Okay, so let me let me ask you the question that I I, I often ask my guests who have who have written books or who are here to talk about a, to a special topic. Um, what what connected you to this topic? How did it how did it happen that that you and your wife, Robin, decided to get together. To sure, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much, Johanna, and great to be with you. This certainly was not a topic or a book that we would have foreseen doing even 15 years ago. The way we, we happened into it, um, my institute where I work, the Institute for Policy Studies, gives a human rights award every year to great human rights defenders across Latin America. And the selection committee came to us in 2009 and said there's an incredible group of people in northern El Salvador that are fighting mining companies. Uh, and the selection committee picked them, and, and then we bring them for, for a couple of days every October, and they receive the award and, and they go on. So that's the way it's happened for, for decades. Um, in this case, something remarkable happened, which is, we told the group in Northern El Salvador that we, we admired their work. We were going to give them an award. We invited them to come in October. They picked five people to come. And then shockingly, within a month of telling them about the award, we get the horrible news that one of the five has been assassinated for his work, uh, presumably for his work 
in defending the rivers of El Salvador against mining companies. So we were shocked. Then uh, they invited his brother. The man who was killed was Marcelo Rivera, a wonderful cultural organizer. Uh, they brought his brother instead. And when they came on the night of the human rights ceremony, there's about 500 people in the room, they tell us that their goal is not just to kick out the mining company, but they've decided, they've concluded that El Salvador cannot safely do any mining, so they want to they end it altogether. And they tell us something that's truly odd. They say, we've just found out that the mining company who wants to mine here and which we've been able to slow down uh, getting a, a mining license, that they're suing our government for $300 million in a court that's in your town of Washington, D.C. Can you help us? So, I mean, we all get requests for help, but this one was particularly compelling, coming from the brother of someone who'd just been assassinated. So that pulled... Robin and me, a broader group of allies uh, that had come together that evening from environmental groups, from human rights groups, uh, from groups that work on Central America, in, into helping. Again, we thought it would just be maybe a week, but um, it turned into nine beautiful years of working together across borders with some of the most remarkable people we've ever met. And the book, the book documents that whole, that whole journey. Um, what's so, what's, what's so inspiring about the story is, is, well, actually, I found two things very inspiring. One is that, um, the people who, who decided to fight this and, and you tell, you know, you just, you tell their journey and, and, and it's, it's actually, I mean, if this were a novel, that, this, it would be a thrilling novel. <laughs> and, and the amazing thing is that it's actually based on, based on real facts. Um, the way, the way people who, who live in the areas that would have been impacted. First of all, you know, how they discovered that there, that there could be a problem and then what they decided to do about it, you know, the many creative ways that they found. And then also the fact that they actually, you know, reached out to people like you and, and said, you know, we need help. Can you help us? And, and, and built these relationships with these international allies. So I, I'd, I'd like to invite you, to talk about um, maybe the first aspect a, a, bit, a bit more. How did people disc first learn that there could be a problem, and, and how did they, how did they um, realize that, th that this could be a real danger to their way of life? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And, you know, the world over when big companies come into a community to build a Walmart or to take out oil, or in this case, to take out gold, they usually come with the same promises. They promise a lot of jobs. They promise revenues that will come to the community. And they usually start also throwing around cash to local churches, local schools. And so the initial contact is usually very positive. And it was fascinating to talk to these people in northern El Salvador. They described these white men in suits coming in and promising all of these things. Now, their initial reaction, to be totally honest, was positive. They thought, okay, we're, we're in a poor area. Most of the people in this area are farmers. They're rice, I mean, corn and bean farmers. And they thought, okay, 
let's, let's give this a try. Some of them, though, had been across the river. We're, we're up in northern El Salvador. There's a big river that separates El Salvador from Honduras called the Lemper River that then plunges through El Salvador. It provides water for over half of the people in this country. And many of the people in northern El Salvador had been forced to cross that river in the 1980s during a brutal civil war in El Salvador. So they knew people in Honduras. They knew there were a lot of mines in Honduras. And they went across, and what they saw shocked them. They went to a big open pit mine. And what they learned is that to do large-scale mining, these companies use cyanide to separate the gold from the rock. That cyanide then covers the, the discarded rocks, because uh, you get a very tiny bit of gold out of a whole lot of, of rock, and that inevitably leaks into the surrounding land and rivers. So they saw dead fish. They saw people with skin diseases from the water. And they saw a lot of conflict as the mining companies were coming in and offering big money. Normally, the local officials then become friendly with the mining company. Um, and the people who learn about the problems, the environmental problems and other problems, um, are, are in conflict. So they came back. They did their own studying. I mean, these are r remarkable people, but like community activists, they knew they'd only advance their cause if they if they became experts they learned about water and hydrology they learned more about cyanide and they became convinced that this was was bad now what makes this story remarkable is they didn't just so they spent a year or two just organizing locally doing very creative things wonderful marches you know filled with laughter this was marcello's specialty they worked with community there's a great community uh radio station up there run by youth. They did a huge amount of education there. So they went from there, though. They realized, okay, in order to get rid of this company and then their larger goal of getting rid of mining overall in this very water-scarce country, they knew they would have to win over others. And so they went into San Salvador, the, the capital city, and they began to do education and reach out. And pretty quickly, they put together a national coalition of faith groups, environmental groups, women's groups, youth groups, even some labor organizations who saw the dangers of mining and came together around the goal of, of, of ending all mining. Now, it was only so... Even there, this is a long shot, and any of you who've been involved in community struggles know this, but then it did have this international angle. Well, one, the company was Canadian, so they needed some help on finding out more about the company, and then two, the company sued the government in this court in Washington. So it set up a, a beautiful alliance, if you will. It was clear what the people on the ground needed to do and could do in terms of educating people in El Salvador and pushing for a mining ban. And there was a clear division of labor then with groups internationally could, who could help them with research on the company and in trying to oppose this lawsuit in Washington, D.C. And these things drag out. Most fights with big companies drag out. So we then said we got to get to know these people better. And, and so trips, we brought their leaders to Washington, put them on tours of Canada, the U.S., then Australia, where, where also there are a lot of mining companies. And, and we also organized delegations of people from this country to go there. 
and friendships developed, trust developed, and uh, a huge campaign developed, which I have to be totally honest with you, Johanna, most of us didn't think there was a chance of winning either in this very, the more we learned about the court, the more we learned it was very biased in favor of corporations. And we thought, oh my God, El Salvador, big, their legislature is controlled by conservative parties. We thought we'd probably lose on both counts, but we thought it was an important fight, one, because they asked for help, and two, we realized it would be a great education uh, opportunity for people to learn both about the dangers of mining and about these unequal rules and institutions that govern the global economy. It's such a fascinating story, and, and I find it so encouraging, you know, that, that people who live in the area, you know, simply took it on and said, we have to learn all we can. And then once they learned all they could and, and, and realized how scary that whole situation was, you know, is that they, it is that they figured out ways to, to fight it on so many different levels. I'm, I'm wondering what you, you know, that the whole, the whole situation of water and access to clean water and availability of water, um, is a particularly important topic right now in our area because, you know, California is going through another amazingly right. severe drought year and there are several communities already here in our community that have to truck in water every day and people's yeah. wells are going dry so this is a really important topic and there are many communities um i think you say in in your in your book or in an article about your book that there are you know more than 10 million americans who don't have access to clean drinking water um what do you think what do you think communities Around the globe and and also here in America can learn from can learn from the example of these of these brave people in in El Salvador who who defended their water. Yeah, thank you. And it's interesting, Johanna. You started with California because the stories are somewhat similar. You you know, California exploded in population 170 years ago because of the the California gold rush, um, again, promising all sorts of prosperity and jobs and bringing both a huge amount of environmental problems to California, but also the decimation of, of some native uh, peoples in, in California. Similar story in El Salvador, and also similar in this sense. Um, El Salvador has been heavily deforested. Forests hold the watersheds of, of much of the world. California has lost a lot of its forests and forest fires, so your water crisis is exacerbated by that. So there, there's, there's an amazing similarity in these two di very different parts of the world. I think, though, your question of what people can learn, I'd say two things. One, the people in El Salvador fought for their water using a t very positive messages. They didn't emphasize that they were anti-mining. They emphasized that they were pro-water. Their main slogan was, water is life. We can live without gold, but we can't live without water. That then allowed them, I mean, I described a little bit the coalitions they built locally, nationally, and then globally. Um, they also, I think because of the way they framed this fight, were saving the water for over half of the people in this country, they disarmed what would have ordinarily have been very pro-corporate people and won them over. And they did it also because 
there was there was an enormous amount of bravery and and what what Robin and I would call creative audacity. There were people they would need to win over to win that many people on their side said, "Are you kidding?" For example, there was a very conservative archbishop of the country of of, of San Salvador in this case, who was from Opus Dei, this very conservative conservative part of the church. Um, they thought if they could win him over, then you could have sermons throughout the country on on the water defenders. And they tried to reach out to him. Others said, don't even try. He's, you know, he's a conservative archbishop. They persisted. They finally got a meeting. They were getting nowhere in the meeting. I've been in meetings like this with, with people. Uh, he's, the guy looks bored. Then they mentioned that cyanide is used in separating the gold from the rock. And the guy lights up and says, oh, my God, why didn't you tell me this? I have a degree in chemistry. I know that cyanide would be lethal to this country. What can I do to help? And he turned the church around and, and pulled it in with, with the water defenders. So partly, here we are in this very divided country, the United States. We won't win a lot of stuff if we just convince the already convinced. Um, they realized that they had a chance of winning over people. They won over a congressperson on the other side of the aisle. In the end, I mean, two things happened that were truly remarkable in this uh, David versus Goliath fight. First, in October 2016, after huge pressure on this tribunal at the World Bank, the tribunal ruled against the mining company, and, and it asked it to pay $8 million back to El Salvador. And then secondly, and companies often do the wrong thing, the company then reacted terribly. It acted arrogantly. It said, we're not paying the $8 million, and you stupid people in El Salvador, if you could only see that this is clearly in your interest, you're being, you're pulling the country back to the Stone Age, this offended even conservative leaders in El Salvador. And so the water defenders continued to organize. They brought in new people from the church and elsewhere. They organized brilliant demonstrations at, at the legislature. And in March 2017, El Salvador became the first country in the world to ban all metals mining to save its rivers. Um, an incredibly inspiring set of victories in the most unlikely place. And I would just say to people all over, if they can do this in El Salvador with everything set up against them, imagine what we can do here. Yeah, that is, that is, <laughs> actually, you, you just, you just answered the, the next question I have is what, what would you, what would you tell people here, you know, in terms of, in terms of uh, the inspiration to take away? Yeah. Yeah, and I would also say, Johanna, open yourself up just to new, this is hard to say still when we're in a pandemic, but to meeting new people, taking on new challenges, forming new relationships that um, can lead to unlikely wins. It won't, I think many people who are progressive in the United States, we spend a huge amount of time talking to one another. Mm -hmm. And for many of the big things we need to win, um, don't always assume that the people on the other side <laughs> might not be open. And I just give them enormous, enormous um, uh, respect for, for what they did. One final quick thing I'll say, I know we don't have much time, but in the end the mining company was also saying, hey, listen, 
we, if you, we are green, we are sustainable, and if you could just see our mine in the Philippines, you'd know. And um, Robin and I and others had good contacts in the Philippines. We'd actually been to the mine that the same mining company had opened in the Philippines. It was a nightmare. And so we were able to get funds to bring this very good activist governor from that province in the Philippines to El Salvador to testify before Congress, before public forums. He met the president, and he actually was a great sort of March surprise, if you will, he turned a lot of people around. He completely debunked the corporation's uh, propaganda, and it was a, unan- yeah, a unanimous vote to end all mining. Uh, remarkable. So, so a really interesting combination of, of, of facts and personal relationship, information and personal relationship. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And never, well, you know, who knows who will be able to help you and. In, in a fight, I do think you know you were alluding to this, Johanna. The fight for clean water um, around the world will become a uni- unifying fight of the next generation, much as climate has. And of course, it's related to climate. The drier things are, the more water is imperiled, and we will be able to help each other. The water defenders of of the native lands of the United States, with with people all around the world. Um, because over a billion don't have access to clean and affordable water. In this country, over 10 million don't, um, and it's an essential right. So this will unite us uh, to force our governments to take action against companies whose goal is private prop, uh, profit, not the public good. Thank you so much, uh, John Kavanaugh, for being on Wild Oak Living tomorrow. <laughs> Gosh, my brain, my COVID brain today. Um, we've been talking to um, John Kavanaugh, who is the author, together with Robin Broad, of The Water Defenders, How Ordinary People Saved a Country from Corporate Greed. Do you want to share your website? I know you have several more really interesting articles about this topic uh, at the Institute for Policy Studies. Yes, Do you want to sure. Do, yeah. yeah, so just join us also if you want to write to me. My email is on the website of the Institute for Policy Studies, it's ips-dc.org. And there's a lot more information about the book and the larger fight for water here. We work closely with the Poor People's Campaign, which is fighting for the, the right to water for everyone in this country as well. Thank you so much again, John Kavanaugh, for being on Wild Oak Living this morning and all the best for your future endeavors. Same to you, Johanna. Thanks so much for what you do. Thank you. You are listening to Wild Oak Living, and we are uh, talking today about two topics. We've just concluded the interview with John Kavanaugh about The Water Defenders, a really interesting book, The Water Defenders. Um, You can learn more about it at ips-dc.org. And now we're going to switch topics, and we're going to be joined by two guests, two local guests, uh, Carrie Durkee and George Reinhardt. So push the right buttons and and operate the right sliders here. As I said at the beginning of the of the uh, show today, uh, this this is Johanna Wildock and this is Wildock Living and this is my first time back in the studio since 
last year in March. So I'm relearning how to push all the buttons and slide all the right sliders and, uh, and also how to incorporate Zoom into the studio. Um, I've been doing a lot of Zoom while I was out of the studio. And so now I'm learning to bring both of those worlds together, the Zoom world and the actual physical studio world. So, uh, George and, and Carrie, feel free to take yourself off of mute now. We're ready to start the interview with you guys. This was something, um, this topic that we're going to be talking about now came to my attention just uh, actually yesterday morning, and we pulled it together on really short notice. Uh, a friend of mine sent me uh, an email that shared the information about the uh, Carbon Free Mendocino Initiative um, that is being sponsored by the uh, Grassroots Institute. And that sounded like something that's, that's, uh, really appropriate for wild oak living because wild oak living is all about sustainable living and carbon free Mendocino sounds really good to me. So welcome, George, and welcome, Carrie. Uh, Carrie, do you want to share with us, um, a little bit or, or feel free to, you know, take turns however, however you want to divide it up between you? Um, to talk to us about the Grassroots Institute and then about this initiative. Sure. Um, I'll take a, I'll start off. So, um, gosh, it was so good to hear uh, John uh, about the water and uh, bringing the, all the, you know, the need for bringing all these issues together and how we have to collaborate in many ways. Yeah. So the <clears throat> carbon-free Mendocino resolution is being presented at the, uh, Board of Supervisors, August 3rd. And I would like to say a little bit how we got there. <clears throat> so uh, I was always of the mind that if you don't like the news, go out and create your own. <laughs> so um, when I think about that in, the, in our community, what's resulted is I've been able to work with um, the Grassroots Institute, Jim Tarbell, and several others to create a... It's really an educational uh, platform where people come together and try to educate themselves, empower themselves, look at what's happening politically and in the community locally, as well as uh, being, you know, cognizant of what's going on elsewhere, and then follow up with some kind of action. So this spring, there was a lot of energy for action given what had gone before us um, on several levels. And um, people got together and uh, we formed uh, several different groups. And then what really uh, t got traction was the Climate Crisis Action Group. And um, we wanted to, to take fun. Well, we were rel understanding that there were American Rescue Act funds coming to both cities and counties. And we wanted to say, okay, let's put some of this money ahead, you know, put it away for climate action. So then we decided we would uh, try to work with the, the supervisors and get this uh, into action. So that's where we are now is August 3rd, the res this resolution is going to be presented to the board. And um, George, maybe you want to take a turn? Sure. Um, thank you, Carrie. And uh, Joanna, uh, thank you so much for inviting us. What we have 
here with these uh, this proposal by the GRI. I'm going to just say GRI for Grassroots Institute. You know, with, but if acronyms get a little thick, you just call us on it. Okay. Um, the um, the need for climate action is becoming totally obvious, right? I mean, it's all around us. Uh, this morning, I read an editorial by Maureen Dowd, who's no radical environmentalist, but she just said the climate catastrophe is with us right now. And, you know, she talked about the floods, the fires, everything that's going on. Here in our county, uh, we have many unique opportunities and also the kind of almost run-of-the-mill opportunities to do something about the climate crisis. So the GRI has made a proposal that we act on three fronts, that we get more photovoltaics on government buildings, that we encourage the um, Mendocino Transit Authority to get more involved with electric vehicles, which they are doing. When I say that we're bringing up these ideas, it doesn't mean no one's thought about them, but the, we need to move towards action. That's what our group is really hoping for at both the uh, level, the county level and the local level here in Fort Bragg. We're also doing similar initiatives. What's really exciting about this resolution is we have buy-in from, as far as we can tell, every supervisor for these initiatives in a concrete resolution that establishes a fund that our county will start applying immediately to work that's being done right now. <clears throat> as the resolution states, uh, the county is looking very seriously at ways it can move to uh, act um with regards to the climate crisis and there is a county audit that's underway and this resolution which i think is primarily pulled together by dan jerdy is really brilliant i want to highlight a couple of things there's a lot of um whereas's and therefores as there always are in resolutions but one of the things that's uh really brilliant is that in the uh second uh be it resolved the passing of the resolution will open our county to further uh, grants. One of the things that is unfortunate is that though we have a constituency here that is very concerned about climate change, the county has not acted very rapidly. Other counties are way ahead of us. We need to state clearly our commitment to working on the climate crisis. And by passing this resolution, the supervisors will have done that in a resounding way these are not huge things we're calling for, Joanna. What we're really talking about are really basic first steps, but they will open the door to further grants for, from the states and the feds and private uh, nonprofits to do the right thing with respect to transportation, heating, and um, you know, just moving towards one thing we haven't mentioned yet that is a big part of our resolution is the electric transportation infrastructure. So we're encouraging MTA to go towards electrics, but also Mendocino for, Transit Authority, mm -hmm. the bus, yes, the bus system exactly, primarily. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you. That's the acronym uh, check-in here. Yeah, and also the uh, plug-in for uh, private uh, for individuals electric vehicles. This is really an important thing. One of our members um, <clears throat> lives in the. Um, housing over by the police station here in Fort Bragg that all has solar panels. <clears throat> and she's even getting payments back from uh, Sonoma Clean Power for 
the solar that she generates. So there are many, many opportunities. And this resolution um, comes out of many years of work in our county. And uh, as the resolution states, Joanna, I'm sure you don't want to read the whole thing, but we, the county... Share, share uh, the highlights with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, created a uh, climate action working group. And that working group has even rec- has supported uh, our resolution and is recommending that it go from $2 million to $4 million. In other words, there is a lot of enthusiasm for people who have been working on these issues. So, um, Carrie, you could go over the three elements if you want to, uh, but I, I tried to summarize them, so electric vehicles, photovoltaics, yeah. and supporting MTA. Okay, well, I wanted to reemphasize what you just said about uh, MCAC, which is Mendocino County Climate Action Advisory Committee. Now, these people, I think there's around 15, and they're all appointed by the Board of Supervisors. Now, what George just said was that they endorsed our proposal, and um, they also tried to, uh, I don't know if, uh, anyway, there's some move to maybe make it more money by them in terms of what they put aside. Um, So they they were also, like I said, they endorsed our proposal, so did 45 other businesses and organizations. And then we also went out and got signatures, individual signatures. So there's a lot of uh, community support for this effort. And part of what we're doing here today is trying to enhance that even further. So I'm going to give you um, where people can call to call and or email the, each of their supervisors in their district. So, um, and just Carrie, before you before you go into that, just to reiterate, this is being presented to the board of supervisors on August third. You said during the is it is that during the regular board meeting? During the regular board meeting, and today's the day they publish the agenda, so that we'll know. Like, if you go to the board of supervisors uh, um, website by tonight. Um, the time, the time isn't actually specified, but you'll have some idea of when it will be during the meeting. But you don't have to wait. You, you can call ahead and just, we just need people to support the whole idea. Um, even, even though we know, we think we know that the supervisors are supporting it, we still want people to show uh, that they're behind it. So um, the phone number, the easiest way to do it with the Board of Supervisors in calling was is 707-463-4221. And then there's an extension 1, and you go right to the, the supervisors. You can also email them, you know, which they're, they're, it's easy to get to. Again, you can go to the Board of Supervisors website and get that email address for your supervisor. Or Grassroots Institute, which is grassroots-institute.org, and go to the Climate Action page, and um, there's information there for if you miss something uh, today. So is the, is the and, text um, of the resolution, the text of the initiative, also at that website? 
Correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah. At yeah. grassroots institute. That grassroots-institute.org. Yes, there. George, you raised your hand. Did you want yeah, to Yeah, I something? was just thinking, uh, yeah, you know, uh, what Zoom protocols, right? So uh, <laughs> what I was thinking is uh, another aspect that we haven't mentioned yet of the resolution is it is very clear that the county is proposing to work closely with Sonoma Clean Power. Sonoma Clean Power um, has programs like their Evergreen program where uh, subscribers can get 100% renewable energy. And I, I think it is brilliant that the county is doing this because they are yet another funding stream that can support the efforts that we initiate. And they are already supportive of the charging stations, but supportive. You see, this is what's intriguing, uh, Johanna, right now. We're in a climate where we're not the only people who have ideas about how to spend that Rescue Act funding. Uh, and we want to really get uh, members of the county and um, citizens to communicate to our soups that this is an important thing that we need to start acting on right away. And I think we haven't even mentioned some of the other unique opportunities we have here in Mendocino County because we are so uh, blessed, if you will, with the opportunity to take part in carbon sequestration, which is a very big deal about all of this. And this is something, again, if we, not, if we adapt um, initiatives like this, we open ourselves for um, follow-on funding that could be really crucial in making our county an area that is really responding in dramatic and effective ways to the climate crisis. And this will bring us further funding to do more. Let me take a moment to, to let our listeners know that you are tuned to Wild Oak Living here on KZYX and Z, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. This is Johanna Wild Oak. This program comes to you every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m. Right now, I am, t and I'm talking with, uh, Carrie Durkee and George Reinhardt of the Grassroots Institute. And we are talking about a carbon-free Mendocino resolution initiative, uh, that is going before for the Board of Supervisors with the hope of adoption uh, on August 3rd during the, uh, I think that's next Tuesday, right, at the board meeting? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. And uh, if you would like more information about this initiative, uh, the, our guests have shared the website grassroots-institute.org uh, where you can learn more about, about the resolution and also how to support it. Let's talk a bit more about, George, you started talking about this. Uh, what are some of the other opportunities, uh, you know, that, that this kind of, it, it sounds like the, the uh, American Rescue Act is providing a unique opportunity to jumpstart something that otherwise there wouldn't have been any funds to do that, right? And, and also to leverage then those funds to get more funds. I wonder if e either of you want to talk some more about that. Yes, that, well, uh, I will. And, Carrie, jump right in um, if you wish. One of the things that we're trying to address and that I think this resolution speaks to is many people move from denial on climate issues to uh, fatigue or, mm -hmm. if you will, denial to it's too late, you know, this kind of talk, which is not true. And we have to we have to be very militant to, you know, really fight, uh, push back against that because this kind of 
um, defeatist stuff really just serves the interests of the big oil companies and the people who want to just keep doing things the way we're doing it until until we have no opportunity to have a positive impact. So what I think is brilliant about this resolution is, one, it sequesters a certain amount of cash, even though it's just a start. This is very hard for people to perhaps um, understand, but the dynamic of making a, um, a municipal or countywide effort uh, that requires following funding is really, really an important one. We have to make this first step. These are tiny little steps, but they will bring about further uh, cooperation. Working with Sonoma Clean Power is particularly strong because what we have is a basically an energy system in California that is a complete mess. And uh, PG&E is, you know, pretty much a catastrophic failure and we really need to move towards other directions and one of these is i think working closely with a much more accountable entity that we have in sonoma clean power which is a community aggregated energy opportunity and there's a lot to talk about here Joanna. but what i like about the resolution is it very clearly states what we want to accomplish sets up a fund to accomplish those things and starts us down this path of really doing something concrete that makes us eligible for further financial support in doing the right thing. It's a very well-crafted resolution that the supervisors are looking at on Tuesday, in my opinion. Carrie, did you want to add anything to that? Just uh, that um, some of the things that uh, Dan actually uh, has been working on and working towards that are also in the resolution. The planning and building staff are directed to develop a simplified permit process for photovoltaic and battery backup systems in the county. So that's also in the in part of the resolution. And the proposal commits the county to purchase 100% carbon-free power whenever feasible. So these are words in the in the resolution, and we all know that uh, you know maybe this this outlines what we want, and then what what we have to do is stay on task in terms of getting it to happen. You know, if this does if this does pass, that just means that the next phase is to uh, you know try to try to stay in there and make some of these things happen. Apparently, you know, it always hasn't been a smooth road once you pass the resolution, so. Right, so I mean, but also, Johanna, this is happening in our local communities, in, in all the different cities, there are efforts uh, in this direction. And um, I, think, I think we have a great chance of doing this now. There is, uh, there is a lot of, it's kind of interesting. Some people are saying, well, why aren't you asking for more? Well, this is, a, this is a first step, and it's concrete, and it is what's brilliant about the resolution, in my opinion, is that it explicitly states what we're going to do and, and our, the sense of urgency that many of us feel in this county. We haven't yet done that as a county or as a city, but we have support for the GRI initiatives um, in Fort Bragg, and I think we do in Ukiah. There are also some 
measures about uh, the county working closely and, and Sonoma Clean Power working with Ukiah, which has this, they have their own energy district, which is a very, very uh, terrific thing for that community. Um, this, this will set the stage for the opportunities for us to talk about microgrids, about reworking uh, how the grid, how energy is distributed. And um, the, the previous interview that you had about water, one of the things you learn about when you start looking at issues of water and energy is the two are directly connected. You know, a gallon of water weighs eight pounds, and it's a, it's a lot of energy to move water around, as we do all over the place in California. So we are talking about something that it really will impact. And I think it's really interesting that the Institute, Institute for Policy Studies, where your Jonathan Kavanaugh is working, way back in the 60s, they were very involved in um, nuclear energy and trying to um, get us off of that treadmill. And it's very interesting um, how all these years later, they're still um, hammering away at these important issues. I wish I'd heard more of that interview, but we'll, we'll go to their website and check that out. Um, oh, I want to mention that we have a Friday demonstration happening in front of Town Hall in Fort Bragg. And we have, it's a relatively small group, but we encourage people on Friday afternoons uh, in Fort Bragg in front of Town Hall from 12 to 1 we have a climate crisis demonstration. It was started by some people <clears throat> who are members of Elder Climate Action, but we're, we're uh, very ecumenical. You can come um, with all different sorts of uh, you know, reasons, but we're here to talk about the climate crisis and to uh, raise awareness in our communities of the urgency of doing something and acting promptly. That actually brings me to my next question because we've been talking about the uh, carbon-free Mendocino resolution that is, uh, again, just to reiterate, going in front of the Board of Supervisors at the next Board of Supervisors meeting next Tuesday, August 3rd. Um, and uh, if you're interested in providing feedback on that resolution or uh, letting your supervisors know how you feel about it, uh, Carrie, do you just want to share the phone number and the email again for people to do that? Sure. For the Board of Supervisors, phone number 707-463-4221, and then hit extension 1. And uh, with I want to say, you know, this is how democracy works. I mean, it's so exciting to have been a part of this process where a community group brought up specifics. We went to our supervisors. We talked to all of them. There's a lot of support for this. But we need as much support as we can possibly get because there are many constituencies kind of fighting for uh, these this unique opportunity of the Rescue Act funding. So, you know, climate is really, really important, folks. Please uh, join us. And you can come to the demonstration. It's a nice group of people. We'll have, you know. In, in the uh, two yeah, minutes or so. Uh, one, one. Yes, go ahead, Carrie. Excuse me. I just wanted to finish with the... Uh, if you want to email instead of phone, just go to the Grassroots Institute website, grassroots-institute.org, and go to the climate crisis page, and that'll bring you more information and uh, a direct email to, to the soups. 
And in the in the two minutes or so that we have left, would either one of you just talk a little bit more general about the work of the Grassroots Institute? What what's ahead of you? What are what are you focusing on besides this initiative, which is big enough? <laughs> well, it's always an open question. Actually, uh, what we do is really uh, bring people together and work with the energy of the group and decide what to do and go forward. I mean, but there are initiatives. The grassroots uh, institute is real supportive of local agriculture, very supportive of co-ops where there's a group. So Carrie and I are part of the climate crisis group, but there's another group within the grassroots institute that is looking at co-ops and how co-ops might be a part of uh, our community, both for economic development reasons and also because it's perhaps a um, a better, more communitarian way of organizing ourselves and moving forward economically and not being reliant upon large corporate entities to process our uh, raw materials and things that we grow here in our county. Well, yeah, my hope, my yes. hope is if we, if, if once we pass this resolution, <clears throat> that we uh, we're able to create an educational arm so that people can have jobs doing these things, you know, so that we, if we created a, a training program at the college, uh, the Sonoma uh, College has, Sonoma State has, has a program like this, and, you know, we just need to uh, have one here for all, you know, so people can have good jobs. There's a lot of interest uh, in the Grassroots Institute in the future of the mill site, over in, in, here in Fort Bragg, and that's a, a big issue and it has both environmental questions and questions of how do we want to think of ourselves moving forward and what kind of community do we want to be. And Lots, um, lots of topics for future interviews. Unfortunately, unfortunately we've run out of time. So okay. I would like to thank you both, uh, Carrie Durkee and George Reinhardt of the Grassroots Institute in Mendocino County to learn more about the Carbon-Free Mendocino Initiative or about the Institute. You can go to grassroots-institute.org. Thank you both for being on Wild Oak Living today. Thank you, Johanna. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willetson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.